As a millennial, talking about the cultural shift from the 1950s to the 1960s feels akin to a present-day 13-year-old trying to tell me how much the digital revolution changed things for me and my Gen X friends. But here we go. Adapted from the immensely popular Truman Capote novella of the same name, Breakfast at Tiffany's is one of the most iconic examples of a more popular, palatable adaptation. The movie tells the story of Holly Golightly, played by Height of Her Powers Audrey Hepburn. She's a poor, yet vivacious socialite who befriends Paul, a writer who midnights as a gigolo for a richer, older socialite. The two of them dance around having a relationship and become good friends and eventually lovers over the course of the story. But the film is about much more than your typical will-they-or-won't-they rom-com. It's a film that catalogs a woman's struggles for independence while she constantly chains herself to the whims of the richest man in the vicinity. The way I see it, it's the story of the 1960s desperately trying to escape the 1950s. It's not a new story. It's one that's told every decade or so. It's a story of transition. And told in this way in 1961 under the Hayes Code, it's a racy, progressive feat. Progressive until you get to the racist, cringeworthy performance by Mickey Rooney as the landlord, Mr. Yunioshi. Woofta. Holly, on the other hand, is one of the great American characters. Not only for her irreverent wit, magnetic charm, and illustrious style, but because of that je ne sais quoi that only she possesses. I feel stupid even saying je ne sais quoi, but she's got it. And she is what makes this George Axelrod-written, Henry Mancini-composed, Blake Edwards-directed 1961 classic film, in a word, iconic. Do they still really have prizes in Cracker Jack boxes? Oh yes, that's nice to know. It gives one a feeling of solidarity almost of continuity with the past, that sort of thing. Do you think Tiffany's would really engrave it for us? I mean, you don't think they would feel it was beneath them or anything like that? Well, it is rather unusual, madam. But I think you'll find that Tiffany's is very understanding. If you'll tell me what initials you would like, I think we could have something ready for you in the morning. Action. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to Ryan and Kelly's most extravagant film reviews. This is the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms, and I'm going to use the definitive article, The Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. It's always been a point of contention, but I want to be definitive about it, damn it. How's that for you? That's great. Little... What's your name? Oh. Well, I'm Ryan, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> And I'm Holly Golightly. Uh, mm -hmm. Welcome to my fabulous pad. I'm just going to keep talking while you go over there. Oh, darling. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, oh, oh, hi. Hi, Mickey Rooney. You're being very racist right now. Oh, hello, my brick of wood kind of neighborly friend, boyfriend. Yes, you are a brick of wood, but you're chiseled and beautiful. You're the worst Audrey Hepburn impersonator I've ever heard. And I'm Kelly McCrillis. The worst, the, worst of, the worst impersonator you've ever heard. Well, at least of Audrey Hepburn. I'm willing to give you like future next episode. You can do someone else. I can do a good crossover of Ray Romano and Kermit the Frog. That's true. You've got a good Ray Frog thing going for you. 
Uh, thank you. Should we get should we get the painful part? Like yeah, just right off the top. Of... I think we just get it out of the way. <clears throat> All right. When Mickey Rooney shows up, just hold your breath. Hold your breath and then breathe out slowly so that you don't it'll, choke. <laughs> it'll pass. I promise it'll pass. Well, it comes back, but the feeling passes a little bit. But like just hold your breath every fart. time he shows up. He it will go away soon enough. And let's just let's just acknowledge it. It's yellow face. It's un, inexcusable, inexcusable, unexcusable, unforgivable, unforgivable. It's just it's not just bad. Okay. Yeah, it's just bad. It's <laughs> bad. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. Um, uh, we, I mean, a lot of people have already written on this. In fact, on the uh, DVD that came out in like 2014, they. Um, there was a documentary uh, labeled uh, Mr. Yoanishi, The Asian Experience. And oh. it, it's just like, I think, 15 to 18 minutes long. And it's just a bunch of experts who like know a lot about film and also representation being like, this is why it sucks. I know it's a classic, <laughs> but in case you all out there don't understand why it sucks, it sucks. <laughs> so if you're interested in learning a little bit more about why yellow face is not good or any face of that matter, go... Go check that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I can just imagine Blake Edwards just defending it in the moment of like, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I've read some quotes of him apologizing for it later. Because yeah. even like by the next day, everyone was like, that was probably not the best idea. Um, but name me an actor who was as nearly big as Mickey Rooney that could have done the role. In Hollywood at that time, in 1960 or 1961. I mean, this is that that age-old argument that Hollywood makes their stars, right? Um, there might well, Mickey not have Rooney been... was made 30 years beforehand. So, I know, kind but, of. But that's no, that's my point, though. If you're going to have like an elderly gentleman comedian who also is a really good physical comedian, like Danny Kaye, probably could have done that. Um, but like they they either could have diverted from the book and said we really want to have a good physical actor presence and since hollywood hasn't made a japanese movie star (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they weren't in the effort of doing that pre post or even like until maybe the 90s i would say and even now they're they're backing away from that with like movies like ghost (laughs) in the shell um yikes but um they could have just written him as like a, if they wanted to use a white actor, a white character, or, I mean, there are still like Asian actors being cast back then, but like very rarely. There's one person that could have done it, but no one was bright enough or they were in the wrong film circle to figure this out. They could have gotten Toshiro Mifune. What, what was he in? He was Akira Kurosawa's star. He was Yojimbo. He was. Oh my gosh, Yojimbo! That would have been he so was, great. He was. But he's not really the, a comedian. No, but he's an intense actor, and right. he could have brought the intensity. If you've seen Seven Samurai, it's a classic. He's just this. He has a rabid performance that would have done great in this movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the movie itself because I want to get into the fact that I know this is a classic, but. It's a story I would love to see redone. And I know it's going to ruffle some feathers out there because everybody's like, oh, it's a classic. Don't remake my classics. But this one, while really good, I think, um, well, let's get let's get into the movie and then I'll tell you what I think afterwards. Okay. Okay. 
there's a lot of people out there who already know the story, but why don't you just recap it for him? Okay. Because you're really good at it. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn wears a little ba- black dress throughout the whole movie, and she only changes a couple of times. And some other things happen, but that's basically the plot, is what happens to her dress, what kind of accessories she's changing to make you know that she's elegant, but in kind of like a chic, not expensive kind of way. And then George Pippard shows up and, you know, romance happens. Yeah. And they're both, they're both the basic plot. They're, he's basic, he's a gigolo writer. Like, and Mm -hmm. I mean gigolo in the strictest, most dictionary definition sense. Literary, literally sense. He has a sugar mama who pays him for sex. And she is, I mean, she's kind of an equivalent of a call girl. Um, She's a socialite, and it's something that I've I've seen this movie a few times now, and I wanted to ask you, Holly Golightly is a... Call girl. I'm going to go with socialite. She keeps saying she gets $50 for going to the powder room, right? And I'm going to feign ignorance, and I'm going to say, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't know if that's strict code. Oh, my poor innocent Ryan. Is it? Okay. Is it's it? code. Is it? Yeah. It's, it's total it's code? Total code. Um, because in... At least in the book and and in interviews afterwards, uh, Truman Capote was like, she's the equivalent of a New York geisha. Okay. But what? why is that the code? $50 to go to the powder room. Because why would a guy go to the powder room with her? Probably to get a blowjob. But the guy's not allowed. He's not invited. I mean, you you, you can pay anybody to scram. It's the 1960s. (sighs) In New York, I and, guess. I mean, you saw how these guys were hounding her. So um, yeah, I I was under the impression, like I was watching, I was like, is she a call girl? Is she just a um, a gold digger kind of socialite that she just goes with guys and she just gets money out of them? You know, you know, it, she kind of reminded me of Denna from Name of the Wind, a Patrick Rothfuss book, where she is a woman living in the society where she doesn't really make money. She figures out how to survive by dating richer people. I don't know why you don't understand. I need money. I'll do whatever I have to do to get it. What I took it for, this is like my most innocent read of it. And I'm still I'm still not 100% buying that $50 for the powder room is a um, conjugal encounter. Um, the read I had with it, and you, you can... I'm either totally wrong or a little <laughs> bit like half right. Is that sure? I thought like the powder room is like the bathrooms in these really nice places where like department stores, you can just like you you would tip the your little valet and you would, you know, buy a little perfume there and you would you would actually need cash every time you go to the powder room. I think that's still all I mean, I think that's true, but I think that's also code. Okay, but my 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 innocent reading of it, I'll have an innocent reading and I'll have like a nefarious reading of it. Or maybe nefarious isn't a Ryan, good word. Ryan, have you just never been to the powder room? Like we can talk I, about this. No one's invited me. <laughs> um, I've never but, had $50. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't <laughs> No girls ever asked me to give her $50 for the <laughs> But I I figured she takes the $50 and she just goes home. Um I mean, here's the thing. I think it can be read both ways on purpose. I think it's the truest double entendre of... Because why... 
I mean, maybe that's the sexism of the movie is that the only thing they really hint at is verbal, like $50 to the powder room. But we see with George Papard, here's your cash, whore. Like he actually, we actually see way more of him naked in bed, cash being left on the table for him. Well, remember her agent is always like, she's a phony, but she's a real phony. And George Papard, he's not. He's just a lump of wood, but he, 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 he's real. I guess so, but but do you do you concur? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's like we we can show this guy shirtless post coitus, but we mm-hmm. we can only allude to Audrey Hepburn being this. And in way. the most way that even naive little me is like, but what is going on? With Wait, her? and when was the the Hayes Code lifted? I thought it was pretty much done with. In so it was nineteen sixty. Eight, I believe they okay. revamped it to be the Motion, Motion Pictures Association of America. Um, oh, so this is just, this is well into, like, I mean, we, we still have seven years at this point of code. Yeah. Um, of people kissing with their mouths closed. Yeah. But. But what? But when, I, I, I can see them, I can see it all over the writing of this movie where, like she crawls at one point in time in the movie after he moves in, she sneaks up the fire escape and sees uh, his benefactress um, mm-hmm. leave $300 on the bedside table and then skedaddle after they've had sex and he's just asleep and she gets into bed with him. And after a conversation, she like lays down on on his chest and she's like, we're just friends. We're very good friends, aren't we? And it just feels like something that wasn't, and I haven't read the book, but it felt like something not necessarily in the book, but they're like, okay, we have to make it very clear that they're not having sex right now. Yeah, because the code of movies up until 1968 is if you leave two characters in a bedroom together in a bed and you go away, that's our wink, wink, nudge, nudge of saying that they did the deed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, 1961 it's in this transitionary period where we can start talking about sex but not like that and (laughs) you can't no 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 um and it's not until like 1967 1968 like 67 you could really start alluding to stuff 67 is when you have bonnie and clyde you can start polishing guns at that point but you wouldn't have the gumption to use it yeah, she she was polishing his gun. Like the the innuendo is far more clear, and it's like at 1967, you have film stars like Warren Beatty, who's just like, "Come on, just let us bear our chests and just like let us be." And I just watched uh, Rosemary's Baby, and I was kind of I was kind of shocked. Yeah, at the graphicness in I that mean, movie during during the scene where she is basically raped by the devil. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, because it up until then it looks like a a nice Paramount movie, and Breakfast at Tiffany's is a nice Paramount movie, and it's seven years, like seven years ago. That's 2013. Like, think about it. Has film changed that much since 2013? It's the 60s is when you have this seismic shift. So I would have I would have liked to see a 1968 version of Breakfast at Tiffany's yeah. and see what they would have done. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I I would actually love to see a modern version of Breakfast at Tiffany's. If if only because I would I would like to see how if anything has changed from then till now, it's not what we're allowed to sh- I mean, obviously it's what we're allowed to show, but from like let's say 1968 to now, the language of how these characters would speak to each other would change. Because 
I don't know about you, but I feel like the script was good, but George Pappard was outclassed by Audrey Hepburn so much in the acting department that it made the script seem a little bit dry at certain points in time. Well, yes. Are you not happy that it's not Cary Grant or... Well, he's too old at this point in time. Right, um, right. No, I'm, I, I, I would have liked to see somebody else. Like, uh, I don't know who's in that in-between that I would have liked to see because we're not quite to Peter Fonda days yet. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I would just really like to see this story told in a more modern perspective, still with a little bit of alluding to like, uh, we get what they're doing, but they dance. Because that was one thing I loved about the script is our characters both said and danced around the fact that they both kind of scamped around for money and that Mm -hmm. was their lot in life. And I liked that about the script a lot. I think it just could have had a little bit more life had the other lead had more life and less chin. I really liked George Pappard in this movie Mm. because I found him to be not Cary Grant, not Gregory Peck and not even Paul Newman. He felt like, how I, well, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever get in a situation where I would be uh, gigoloing for my room and rent, um, but I would be totally, absolutely taken in by Holly Golightly. Um, no, and you I'm, need a you need I'm, a guy who is totally swept off his feet. He's the one getting college, swept off his feet. Maybe in college you would be, but the Ryan I know today would never stand for like going you would not be able to stand audrey hepburn (laughs) no that's my point and this is my my big point about this movie itself is every man in his life encounters a holly go lightly very very rarely does a man hold on to a a holly go lightly sure i would think it was an exceptional man who could and would and And that's what we're seeing. This is a heroic tale of like, this is the exceptional man. I think he has seemingly good values, but he's a nice, he's just a nice boy. I I don't know. I I think you're, you're fighting like this, this battle right now, but I'm not exactly sure why you like him. And I mean, I don't dislike him. He's just extremely vanilla. (laughs) He's like the, the craziest thing about him is that he is a gigolo but what makes that crazy is that I I wouldn't believe that for a second if I met him. Otherwise, he's a very normal guy. He's not only normal, but he's just like, yeah. This is your dad, Holly. Um, he's like a Republican. He's just so... He, he, he looks <laughs> like he belongs in like the, the college version of the young Republicans. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, he's beautiful. He is a beautiful man. We can... We can say that, but I just, I don't know. Um, the one time I- Do you I, not I, want them together? Do you not believe in this love? Okay, what you're talking about is the academia of this movie. Yeah, I want the two main characters of this film to fall in love by the end of it, for sure. And there are times where they have chemistry, like on the actual breakfast at Tiffany's Day, where they go to Tiffany's and they have that mm-hmm. that fun day out, or when he's like- at the party, they steal the masks. Yeah, when they steal the masks, when he's at the party with her, when she gets the telegram about her brother dying, and he—it's not chemistry, but he's there for her in a a good way. But to me, the performance lacked life, 
And so when I see a character like Holly Golightly, I need to believe that the character themselves is somebody that Holly Golightly would fall in love with, let alone stay with. And I, no, his, his actions, no. here's the thing, his actions were all there. It was just lacking in performance for me. Ah, uh, because he, he is, I, I think Holly Golightly needs vanilla. I, I think she needs stability and she needs consistency and love. I'm just saying another character could have brought more life to that part. But the, the like, Holly Golightly is life for two people, like in just herself. Like that's how brimming with energy she has. And I feel like someone needs to be kind of like, a, like, um, like needs to like bottle up the extra life so that he can like benefit from See, it. See, if that were the case though, she would have stayed in, um, Buck Nowhere, Texas. <laughs> oh, cause everyone's vanilla there. Yeah. I, I'm just, I, I get that she would want somebody who is simple and stable. I'm just saying that his performance was fine and next to hers it it didn't bring anything to the the role i don't know he just didn't seem nuanced (laughs) to me that's Mm. fine george papard if you're still out there if you're still alive i'm sure you do great work i just i wasn't a fan (laughs) well he's certainly not a household name like in the early 60s this is when the new school of actors was coming along it would have been led by james dean but he died um, but you had the beginning of Paul Newman. You had the beginning of Warren Beatty. They were first starting to get their young guy roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other guys were getting too old and it was getting really embarrassing. Like this was three years after Vertigo where Jimmy Stewart is like near 60 and he's romancing Kim Novak and it's just kind of cringeworthy. You have yeah. Cary Grant who's in the same situation who is, who's, his hair is gray and he's romancing even Marie Saint to North by Northwest in 1959. So the, the classic leading men were literally aging out and the new, new line of like leading men were aging in where they were really young, where they were starting against like Natalie Wood and they were like young guys. So I don't know who else could have done this i'm sure there were lines around the block for people who could have done this no but like a star like that's the unfortunate thing is that there wasn't a good enough star Uh, to hit that well i i think you had the pick of the litter back in the day and they chose this guy because he was beautiful and i i just because he's the only one there doesn't make him good in this part no i know i i I guess i'm conceding a little bit that you are right that there is something like there's not a charisma bouncing off the screen from him. And that's, that is unfortunate. My um, note is he has all the charisma of a block of peanut butter. Which is not something, you know, block of peanut butter is uh, some value. Good protein there. That's true. It's, it's <laughs> something that will fill your belly for a while. Every Tom Dick and Sid thinks, thinks that if he takes a girl to dinner, <laughs> she'll just curl up like a kitten in a little furry ball at his feet. Right? but you're right like he fulfills the purpose for me of um making holly go lightly shine because you Mm -hmm. place her next to somebody like him who is who is at least there Uh, she shines all the brighter yeah and someone who has patience yeah you definitely need that with holly yeah i think a lot of guys don't get holly and don't get the like long game well, I don't want to call it a game, but it is kind of a long game with Holly of like, 
when she's at a party, she's in a mode and that's what he kind of gets about her. He's just kind of like happy to be a wallflower at that party. Just mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, wait, I'll just kind of chill, hang out with your friends, have a good time. And, you know, the um, I've known quite a few men and women like Holly and um, where where they're act- they're just they're so special, but they're also kind of a tornado in their life. Yeah. Where you end up taking care of them a lot more than they end up taking care of you. Mm-hmm. But there's like the, the special ones of them are always just so worth the extra time just because they bring a lot more life to your life. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I love about that character and what she does. I don't think um, Holly is what they do well about her is that she's not pathetic. No, no, she's, she's a modern woman. She's very self-sufficient. She's yeah. very self-sufficient. And she doesn't need someone to live the way that she lives. She just gets to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because there's there's men pawing after her all over the place. Um, nice men? Eh, not always. But like, like when she goes off with Rusty Trolley, the ninth richest man in America under 50, mm-hmm. what do you think happens there? Oh, they had an experience. Because, I, yeah, I think I think this movie, by having her be so self-efficient and indicate or, you know, telling us like, you know, she's been married before. She was mm-hmm. basically a child bride. No, she she's, literally was a child bride. Yeah. <laughs> she was 14. <laughs> and and then like her going off with men that I mean, that's that's 1961 saying this woman does what she wants and there's there's a yeah. lot of different times where i was watching this with robin and whenever uh george papard would i want to say his name like a frenchman george papard whenever he would say something like i need support i don't think i can play the scene alone well, holly what can i do he's your husband or holly i'm in love with you so what so what so plenty i love you you belong to me no People don't belong to people. We had to take it with the parlance of the time because like the way he says that is like, well, she doesn't belong to her husband. No, he meant it in the spiritually romantic way, the fates way. He didn't mean it in a look, we get along. So I am claiming my ownership. Yes. No, but I'm more talking about when um, he's like, I don't know what you want me to do. He's your husband, so... Well, what would he have done? Well, I mean, if if Holly didn't want... Like, let's say he was going to force her to get on the bus with him or something. He was never going to do that. I mean, I, I, having not seen this movie since college, I was like, is there a point in time where he saves her from, like, having to go back to Texas or something like that? What do you mean? I Well, I mean, I couldn't... I couldn't quite because we're introduced. So Doc is her husband mm-hmm. from Texas yeah. who found her and her brother on the farm when he was like when they were really young and then promptly married Holly, mm-hmm. who was what was her name? Lula Ann? Lula something. Yeah, she had she had an old name and now she goes by the moniker of Holly. Yeah. When he shows up, he we think he's like sent by George's. Well, actually, what's what's the character's name? What's George's character? Good old Fred. Paul. Um, well, his name is Paul Varjak. Yeah, Paul. V-A-R-J-A-K. Varjak. 
So Paul's mistress is like, I think my husband sent a detective to follow me. And he's like, I'm going to go figure this out. And then he's followed by this guy across most of New York because like the places they're filming are crazy far apart from each other. And, and and so he seems really intimidating, but then he shows up and he's like, I'm, I'm Holly's husband. I married her when she was 14 and ah, she ran away and golly gee, can you be a friend? And I mean, I was set up not to trust him, so I didn't quite know whether he was a somebody who had a temper, maybe, or because I didn't know quite why Holly left, besides the fact that he's old. Do you think the movie was saying, suspect this Buddy Epson guy, suspect um, Doc, he is not to be trusted? I think, the at least for me, it felt ambiguous. And I think, to the movie's credit, where the movie was like, Hey, this is a, you. You were supposed to be suspecting of this guy, but maybe he's a nice guy, but maybe he isn't. Oh that's, no, that's kind of how I felt. I I took it as at first we think he's dangerous, and it's like does the switcheroo is like gotcha. He's actually Holly's husband. Whoa! And I think the whole point of him, like from the zoomed out scale, is that he's just another chump on her leash. Yeah, that he's he's on the hook. And she's got all these men on the hook, including him. And she, it's one of those, this is, Holly Golightly is a lot like Summer Finn from 500 Days of Summer. Ooh, okay, hold on. Before we get into that, because that's going to raise a bunch of other things. Um, When you said uh, another guy on her hooks, I think if you're 14 and you get not that she, not that she hooked him at 14. That's a different situation. But at at this juncture now he's on the hook like any other guy well she i mean she annulled the marriage right yeah but emotionally he's on the hook oh on emotionally okay yeah, yeah. he's on the hook like because, all the other dates that she's ran off on he's just another rejected guy who can't get over yeah her. i just want to be careful when we're talking about holly go lightly and saying that she's got all these guys on the hook because that is she tr- does well mm, that's true but like that's saying that like the guys who come knocking back at her door are on, so- i'm not saying she's like knowingly doing this i'm not saying it's a thing that she's like keeping them consciously on the hook and she wants them to be on the hook i'm saying she has an effect on men where she gets them on the hook yeah okay um and now you have basically called her the manic pixie dream girl she's the she is the um uh the origin of the manic pixie dream girl. i disagree she is, she is the rosetta stone of manic pixie dream girls no she is she is like if we're comparing her to zoe deschanel um i think she is strange quirky fun and her own person but in 500 days of summer it's not summer story this is holly go lightly being her own person this whole movie yeah yeah um which i think a manic pixie dream girl is somebody who is only there to serve the needs of the man in the story generally there is something fantastical though about for sure she has from a male gaze pov um that in this in a certain way she uh, is kind of a dream girl and we all secretly wish that we're Paul Varjak at the end of the movie, that we could have made it work out. You mean because this movie sets her up to like most of the people around her 
No, I mean, we just see her the object of affection a lot. Yeah. But I'm saying she's designed in such a way that me watching it, I it makes me think back of the Hollies in my life. And the it's the Hollies that are the most incendiary as the crushes you have, you know, where it, it's it's most of the time. So, it's, but we're, we're talking about it just from our perspective and not objectively criticizing it. Yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to die on the hill and say, of course, we're saying it from our perspective. That's I think this movie, I think Breakfast at Tiffany's is the most like one of the most essential films for men in the same way that Five Days of Summer is, too. And when we get to that, it's going to be the same thing is that we need to reckon with this and we need to reckon with the the Hollies in our life and understand. Wait, say what you mean about one of the most essential films for men. That Holly Golightly is a, in our romantic experiences, like I said before, earlier in the episode, every man encounters a Holly Golightly. And they make, they're a Holly Golightly to them. Not an objective Holly Golightly, but to them, they're this spirit, this firecracker, this magical person that is also just out of reach. And they're just so much, there's just so much life to them that it, it, it crushes you that you can't be a part of their life. And it's, a Holly Golightly is different from a Meg Ryan and a Meg Ryan rom-com. There's something, or any other Audrey Hepburn character, there's something more passionate and more frightening about encountering a Holly. And like I said, we all encounter one, but we don't usually end up with one because they just kind of uh, there's just too much life to them and they just kind of move on. And it's not, it's not that they know this and they like, are like, like I said, Holly's not consciously keeping these men on the hook. She just is. And that's the thing. about her. So you're saying that she is a force of nature. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Like work with me on that. Just like, do you agree that there are other Hollies in everyone's life? Well, yeah, but I'm I'm not going to say just in men's lives. Um, no, anyone's life, anyone's life, any in your any person's romantic life, they encounter yeah, a course. Holly Golightly yeah, yeah. type. There, there are definitely Holly Golightlies out there. Yeah, yeah. And do you like? So do you do you agree or disagree or do you um, do you verboten my my sayings? Um, I I think that she is um, she is not a caricature. But she is definitely a, she's definitely emblematic. Mm-hmm. Though it's odd because I, she almost seems like she's, she's written in 1961, or I guess whenever the Truman Capote novel comes out. Sure. And oddly enough, she seems ahead of her time mm-hmm. because the amount of, the amount of people in just, okay, how many college rooms did you go into where there was a portrait of Audrey Hepburn in oh, yeah. this movie? Yeah, yeah. Icon. Right? She Icon. is iconic in this role. And I think she almost defined permissibility to be her or to be this character. Because I'm sure there were many Holly Golightly's before this movie was made. And mm-hmm. Truman Capote drew from knowing those people, this character. But I think afterwards, she is so iconic that she has created a almost a way of being the holly go lightly way of living yeah the holly go lightly school of young girls holly i'm not holly i'm not lula may either i don't know who i am i'm like cat here 
We're a couple of no-name slobs. We belong to nobody, and nobody belongs to us. We don't even belong to each other. Yeah, that's... There's, like, the lifestyle thing of, like, the urban lifestyle. And that's one thing. But I'm really talking about the the social interaction of romantic um, implications. Oh, yeah, I am, too. Um, so I guess that's my point, is... I find this movie extremely cathartic because Sarah's not a Holly go lightly in any sense. <laughs> she has style and she is, she has no, that's the, no, 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 no. I can't Listen, do one of these podcasts out. without you relating the main character to Sarah. Of course. I'm going to relate every character to Sarah and I'm going to hope that you're going to relate every character to Robin. Cause that's what we do. We relate to it. No, Robin has asked me specifically not to do this. No, I'm either going to say, this character is nothing like Sarah, or I'm going to say this character is exactly like Sarah or something in between. And so like Sarah has the style um, and the sensibility, but she also accidentally put me on the hook too. Wouldn't you agree that that was going on in the first stage of our relationship that I was on her hook? What do you mean put you on the hook? You fell in love with Sarah is what happened. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate. I do not want to use the words led me on because she didn't lead me on per se. And Sarah will admit to the fact she's like, I kind of, he was kind of on the leash, but only because I didn't know what I wanted. And like, that was the beginning of it is that she didn't know if she wanted to date me for the longest time. Well, we can say this. There are, there are many ways to fall in love with somebody. Sometimes when people are figuring it out, one person is definitely more, fallen for the another person than yeah that that original person yeah yeah I, I guess my whole point is holly golightly is a tornado and she sucks all these men in and it's hard for them to let go mm-hmm. for sure tornado is a good word <laughs> yeah there's other women that i totally oh, i mean you were um you you can testify to this but please don't testify in detail of all the women that i was sucked, sucked into and it was mostly my own undoing of like letting myself get so far into a crush and not doing anything about it. And that was on me, you know, but I still was endeared and just attached. And I hope, I don't well, think I so, came off as those guys pounding on the the bathroom door, but I was a little bit like um, Paul Varjak who just couldn't help himself, but be uh, allured and attracted to her. I, I think there, there are just people that, that we fall in love with, um, that we have crushes on, but that doesn't make them Holly Golightly's. Yeah. So what's what's the difference then? I think Holly Golightly is iconic for more reasons than having the like ability, conscious or otherwise, to make men fall in love with her. She, like you said, has a very unique sense of style and she's almost she's she's very hyper aware of everything that's going on but she's very aloof to it at the same time mm-hmm. like kind of like summer finn guess so <laughs> to me they're they're very different characters holly golightly has she she has like this affectedness where she's she's like look i know that you have feelings for me and we're just going to get that all right out in the open but you know uh we were lovers but i'm going to marry this guy and we're not really going to talk about it but you know i'm not really going to marry him 
just for his money or anything. I really do like him, but he's not my forever guy. And one day he'll be out there. And so she is like a crazy dreamer who wears her heart on her sleeve in one way. And that's super attractive. But like you've been saying, it also means that I can't be with you because you're unstable as a human being right now. Well, that's literally her fate with Jose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he has to take that tack. I have my family to protect in my name, and I am a coward where these institutions enter. Forget me, beautiful child, and may God be with you. Jose. Well? Well, at least he's honest. Like, she is a criminal. She, <laughs> like, she is. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I literally can't be with you. You are in prison. Uh-huh. She's been visiting this guy, Tomato, Tomato Terry. Is that his name? <laughs> oh, the, the, the mobster in jail. Sally Tomato. Yeah. Uh, he's He's been in Sing Sing. And she goes and visits him. And she's paid to by his lawyer. And she basically talks to him. Sally helps me with my accounts. And he talks to her, and then at the end, he gives her, like, a weather report, and she goes and tells the lawyer what that is. So it's basically he's he's filtering a bunch of commands yeah. to his mob through Code. her. Yeah. And she's the kind of person where, in the movie, she either knows exactly... I think she knows exactly what is going on, but she's so good at playing the innocent that, like, nobody could ever pin it on her Mm -hmm. and that's what this movie it's like when she first addresses the fact that when she finds paul in bed after his mistress has left and she's just like oh you know i know what you do but don't worry about it we don't have to talk about it i'm just right here and i'm your friend um she she is able to sweep aside anything that seems serious and just say all that matters is right now see I think my point is, I agree. And I think I think what it is, is that she's got power. Because she she is able to keep a distance. And this makes a good character. Because that is her flaw. She will never truly connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. But she will let others attach to her. Exactly. And she kind of gets the pitfalls for them. But she doesn't let herself get attached to them. So she's this not This is why she's a tornado. It's a perfect metaphor because she's always moving and picking things up that want to attach to her and then throwing them away. It's a twister. It's a twister. Yeah, she she doesn't get heartbroken and she's kind of heartbroken about Jose at the end. Well, she's heartbroken by life. Yeah, but she's not super attached to Jose. She's just super attached that her plan went to bits and she's just got to start over again, which she's exhausted (laughs) by it. When they're in the taxi and she's like... Just take me to the airport. I'm going to Brazil still. And Paul's like, you can't do that. Like, you're under indictment right now. Like, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's crazy. She's she's crazy, but I love her. And that's that's kind of the thing. Is <laughs> well, I, in yeah. that, I, I agree with you. I think that's the most respectful way to put it, is that she's a powerful tornado. And I guess I don't want to come off jaded, but it's kind of like... Part of the part of the drama in this movie is someone like Paul getting his heart broken by her because she breaks his heart. And what he um, I don't know if he addresses this 
in such explicit terms. What he does address is that you won't let yourself get attached to people and you really, you, you know, that's not living. Like you, you're not really mm-hmm. living a life if you're not really falling. Yeah. Because she says she doesn't belong to anybody and nobody belongs to her. And he says, that's actually a, a good thing when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're not living a full life if you're not like giving into the feelings that all us men are giving into. And please join us. Um, and I guess that's I'm glad Truman Capote like wrote this because I would have been a far more jaded way of putting it of saying like you hurt me like because <laughs> he he does get her his heart broken by her. Yeah, but we kind of skip that. Mm-hmm. That that's not addressed. It's so um, like as he finds her in the library. And he's like, I love you. And what does she say? Nothing. And it's, it's a meme. He kind of bites back at her. And this is another reason why I think that she might have been a little bit of a call girl is because when when she's at the library and she's like, I, I'm going to go into the bathroom. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, let me go. He's like, is that what you really think? That I'm no different from all your other rats and super rats. Wait a minute. That's it. If that's what you really think, there's something I want to give you. What's that? Fifty dollars for the powder room. Oh, yeah. And it's it's the same way where earlier in the movie, she's like, Go ahead, get the whiskey. I'll pay you for it. Polly, please. Oh, no, you disapprove of me. And I do not accept drinks from gentlemen who disapprove of me. I can pay for my own whiskey, and don't you forget it. Polly. Do not accept drinks from disapproving gentlemen. Especially not disapproving gentlemen who are kept by other ladies. So take it. You should be used to taking money from ladies by now. And she basically calls him... She's like, you whore. Yeah. Get get out of my door. That's a great line, by the way. It should take you exactly four seconds to cross from here to that door. I'll give you two. Who comes up with that when they're drunk? I think only Holly Golightly could. She she thinks she, best when she's drunk, yeah. I mean, this movie is very much like the highlights of a play. Yeah. The dialogue, anyway. It does feel very theater, especially when we first meet Holly Golightly. It's very theatrical. It feels Her like a play. Her apartment is very, like, theatrical in a way. Yeah, and that's... It just feels like a set. That's where we could use a remake, is to make it less theater and more cinema. Is that I still enjoy it, but the movie feels a little bit slow sometimes, because it's just mm. kind of like, we're still sure, we're still in this set, <laughs> nothing's happening. It's can as we... long as her cigarette stem. Yeah. Which which was like two feet long. She was like, Corella de Ville, you ain't got nothing on me. Yeah. Oh, surely he must be joking. No, 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 I I, I mean it. But yeah, that it's it's an interesting thing that I think his monologue at the end does cover for all of all mm-hmm. the, the injustices that happens. Yeah, when he tells her that she's in a cage wherever she goes. Yeah. Like that that's a cutting line. Plus, I would be mad at her too. She just put cat outside. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? Cat is your, cat's the only thing in this tornado that keeps you grounded. Well, maybe that's the metaphor I'm not giving the movie credit for. It's like, we're all the cat. Save the cat. Like, we're all the cat in the rain. All of us. All of us men folk who fell in love with you. We're in the rain. Or women we, folk. Or women folk, but there's no women. Well, I read that the book does 
tease that she might have been bisexual, but this movie being Hayes Code, like, no, 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 we can't do and, that. And apparently he was as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, but, uh, Paul character. Yeah. If, if the movie was more like the book, definitely women folk are also saying you. you I was just talking about in real life. <laughs> but it's a good point is the remake. It would be the it would be that it would be more um, far more open about it. Um, but we're we're the cat. We're in the rain and we're hurt. Please love us. <laughs> Please don't leave me in this box. You know, during that end scene when they're looking for Cat and they can't find Cat, I it's this movie this movie is so pretty, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like even though you're right, there are times where the set feels limited, where they are feels like um it feels very constructed, but there are times like the opening shot, for instance, where that car just comes, the taxi comes from a long distance away and you have that magic hour light in mm-hmm. a quiet New York. There's nothing quite as beautiful as that. And even though they're on a set at the end and they're just getting drenched by the hoses, um, they're in this like fake Hollywood alleyway of New York. And it's just, it's so pretty. And the lighting is so pretty. Like just, uh, Blake Edwards, for as as you know, many other decisions as he made, he he lights a pretty, pretty set, or his DPs do. Then why do you want to remake it? Uh, he, it's so good already. There there are very few movies that I I would like to remake that are classics, but I just feel like you could even not call this Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like this this script could be transposed into a different kind of thing that you're telling, and it doesn't have to be that. Just you know, a couple of because I mean, when I was working at Saucebox, I knew. So many Holly Golightly's um, in this town that not so many just like her, but so many different people who were kind of living the lifestyle of I'm poor, I party and I socialize with a bunch of these people, some of whom are rich, some of whom are in my station, but I'm just kind of surviving week to week, boyfriend or girlfriend to boyfriend or girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. It's just something that I, I feel like the space of that world can be extracted and given even more life nowadays. Would even you, though I liked the restriction it was in. So I could take it or leave it, but it, I think it'd be fun to see. Do you think the restriction gives us more potent storytelling because we, we're forced to use innuendo and other things? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what's fun with it. It's like, that's what's that's what's fun about... Um, that's why we like uh, Austin, right? I mean, in mm-hmm. a different way, not because of innuendo, but because of the restriction of that world. And um, I guess form follows function here. If if our world is the 1960s and we're only allowed to allude to something that kind of makes it tongue-in-cheek in a fun way. All right, I'm going to issue a dare to you. Ooh, I'm ready. I dare double you. Double dog dare <laughs> me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like double dog dare you. I dare you to remake this movie, but instead of updating it, I want you to downcycle it and make it a 19th century courtesan um, story where it's about the first like women of the court who did the same thing. But instead mm. it was with princes and kings and very I like rich this. men. Um, I like this. Yeah, you could put it in the Regency era. You can put it in King, like the, you could do King Louis. You can make it a French thing. You can well, do... you know, um, like there's shows like Outlander uh, that that 
like touch on these characters but aren't from that perspective uh that's pretty cool there's even that one episode of doctor who where he falls uh, the girl in the fireplace yep just watch that yeah. episode so good it's so good um but yeah that's that's a really interesting character challenge accepted no no it's a dare it's not even a challenge it's a dare all dares are challenges okay but yeah accept <laughs> that challenge because they're gonna be like my god i didn't think they could do it but they updated by down dating um, I know that I would have Jonah Hill play Rusty Trawler in, yeah. in the, the <laughs> even if we're what what is it? It's it's if we're not making a remake of it in the future. I, there's there's got to be a new term that we can come up with that is we're not remaking a movie for the modern days. We're demodernizing. We're demaking. Who was your favorite person at the party, Ryan? Because this party was crazy. You and I went to a college where um, yeah. <laughs> we both lived in the two biggest party houses, even though we were the least partying people. Um, not the least, but we definitely weren't the instigators of the parties. Um, we were certainly the Paul Varjaks at these parties. Yeah. I mean, in that in a good way is that we just were amused <laughs> at the ridiculousness of the party. I just don't want to be party. Paul Varjak. Don't make okay, me be I'm Paul sorry. No, well, okay. You're certainly not the agent. You're no, certainly not I'm him. certainly not. And you're certainly not Rusty Trawler. Well, I, I feel like I'm much more of a Holly Golightly when, I, when it comes to parties because I'm never the center of attention, but I'm just letting everybody talk around me while I hold my cigarette, even though I don't smoke. Well, you're very good at stirring the pot. And that's what Thank Holly's you. great at is she stirs Thank the pot. you. She knows. Maybe I'm Holly Golightly. Uh, it was in front of us the whole time. Well, I didn't want to bring this up in the episode, but I got to <laughs> make it clear that you're a bit of a Holly Golightly. <laughs> I am a chaos Muppet. You are a leaf on the wind. Ooh, yes. Speaking of which, we're going to watch, uh, this doesn't have to be in the podcast, but we finished Firefly and we're definitely going to watch Serenity soon. No, keep that in the podcast. Great plug. Here, who is your favorite? Because I'll, I'll tell you mine after. Um, I guess I like, who's my favorite? Well, because you got, you got um, tall guy with an eye patch on for no reason. Can I, can I pick the agent? Yeah, I'm gonna pick the agent. I'm sure. picking the agent because he has a he has a move that is so agent. When um, Paul's going to light uh, Holly's cigarette, the agent blows it out. That's so good. And he he does it like he's practiced that move a thousand uh, times. Yeah, and and it, he does it because he doesn't acknowledge it. It's so swift where he's like, no, Shh. boom. It's just it's like slick. And Paul's like, all right, fair enough. Like, because the agent's pretty much an annoying. He, he's he's kind of annoying, but he's kind of s- slick. He's like that friend where you're like, I'm going to bring you to all my parties, but there are going to be a couple times this night where I want you not to stand next to me. He has his he has his utility. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, he's actually doing the shit job of hosting a party, and she gets to have all the fun. Uh-huh. It, where, where like the door knocks, and he's like, oh, I have to go get that. And I was mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Also, I don't know if he made this up. Like, he must know that she's from Texas, because... At one point in time, somebody references that she's from Hollywood. Actually, multiple points of time. Like, yeah. she's she's just posing as a starlet who moved there from Hollywood. But since he calls her a phony, I think that he knows, like, her true story. Well, answer the question now. Is she or isn't she? Is she or isn't she what? <clears throat> a phony. I don't know. I, I think the best part of him at the party is when he's in the, the shower, when they're escaping before the cops come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... and him and the Brazilian guy are just like, we're outie. And then they open it and he's just like making out with uh, Irving in the shower. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, excuse me, boys. Uh, mm-hmm. You good? <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good. 
other honorable mentions, I want to say Cat. Cat was one of my favorite people at the party because Cat was just jumping on everybody. It's my prediction that the person that Cat jumped on was the set Cat Wrangler. Like, oh yeah, I'm pretty who, sure who got a mention in the in the opening credits. I'm I'm almost positive it's got to be that guy. Like, how else are you going to get a cat to do that? Cat Cat jumped on Paul. Cat jumped on um, Holly Golightly. Like, like Cat Cat's a good cat. Like best cat actor. Yeah, they also kind of threw Cat around a little bit when okay. Holly was having her meltdown. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I feel <laughs> cat. cat. Can we? Okay, Ryan and Kelly's rom-com Oscars. I'm giving it to best cat. Best cat. Best cat. Best cat. Especially because cat is named cat. Yeah. Okay. But my favorite, like that was an honorable mention. I like the guy who was wearing, you know, the eye patch, even though he didn't need to. And there were a bunch of cool 1960s characters. Like this really reminds me of the first like 10 episodes of Mad Men where the 1950s are like, I don't know what to do at this crazy 60s party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But the one that I liked the most was the woman who was laughing at the mirror. Yep. She was cackling madly like she had just taken a bunch of ecstasy. She was tripping. She was tripping. And then like the next time you cut back to her, she's just bawling she and she has on, makeup all over her face. She was on acid. <laughs> she was like, girl, you need to, honey, you need to sit down. Yeah. Like, and then her her not friend, who's a bore, who, who brings the rich guy and the Brazilian over, when she like drinks so much that she falls over everybody just lets it happen and then start dancing over her (laughs) um let's okay and that and that brings me to asking you ryan does this fulfill all of our quotas for a romantic comedy and i have something new for you okay okay is it a hat I mean, of a sort. It's a hat that we're putting on this movie. Is it a lampshade? Yes, just like she puts on in the toy store where they're sneaking around and thinking about stealing everything. And is it also a literary lampshade in which we learn how to critique it properly? Exactly. And I think we should use this these metrics for every movie coming up. Okay. On a scale of one to five, tell me how much schmaltz does this movie have? Um, One to five? Five is the most. Well, I need to know where the curve is. Like, give me an example of five. Um, is five, it's a wonderful life. Is that five? Sure. Um, yes. And is one, um, let's see, a non-schmaltzy movie. Is one a clockwork orange? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, on those terms, I'd give it a three. How about chemistry in the main leads? You're going to hate me. We're going to give it a four. Okay. I would say I, I'd, I'd even give it a solid three. But um, where, is it schmo- where do you put the schmaltz? I'd, I'd almost go with it, it's so comedic. Um, and sometimes I, I give like schmaltz has if it has a little schlock to it, I'll, I'll give it a raise. And so since this one has some schlocky, like goofy characteristics to it, I'm going to give it a four. Um, well, your choice word of schmaltz, it's an interesting thing because schmaltz is something we use as a pejorative, but not always. Not always. I think and a good, there's a good, this, this 
this genre must have schmaltz in it. That's why I'm bringing it up as one of our rating systems. Yeah, and I I think it's good schmaltz because it's when it's schmaltz except for the Mickey Rooney stuff. <laughs> ugh, I wouldn't call that schmaltzy. I would call that just even in 1961, it's not even good. Um, I would say if the schmaltz has honesty like being a part of the whole scene and the point of the scene because the ending is schmaltzy but it's only because it's so honest and like gets at the core of the story so what you're saying if the schmaltz is honest it's good schmaltz if it's got schmaltz there can't be faults sure okay (laughs) but but bad schmaltz is what we call phoniness yeah which she is but she's a real phony yeah okay so that was schmaltz chemistry wit how much wit slash quippiness does this movie have Mm, four yeah it's pretty quippy yeah four okay depth how much depth does this movie have um four i'm gonna own a four oh, i feel like you're being imdb rating right now you're you're asking me in numbers i can only give you numbers no no i mean it between like one and f- five well hear my argument out on this one because this movie has, I think it's purposefully doesn't get super deep. Uh, well, by very nature of both Paul's and Holly's characters, this movie can't get very deep, except like or, a couple moments. Or it gets as deep as they can get deep for the characters that they are. That'd be like saying, okay, Schindler's List is obviously extremely deep, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father the Bride is not deep. <laughs> well, I would, and I would say the Family Stone is also deep, but not anywhere as deep as Schindler's List. Yeah. So I, my my metaphor would be <clears throat> Schindler's List is so deep that they've been excavating this site for three years with the most advanced um, tools known to man. They have um, bulldozers and explosives and everything they can to like mine the depths whereas um the father of the bride people they had a week and they had one shovel and that's how deep they were going to get and i feel like given the tool set that breakfast at tiffany's has they got more than a shovel but they also don't have like an excavation crew for what it for what it is it okay, can't, so it comparative, can't get super deep. So compared to the the ones that we've seen so far, it's a four on your list. Oh, that's our curve? Mm, yeah, and I'll retroactively vote now. Before Sunrise is a five. Um, Roman Holiday is a three. Um, do we have any other like super deep? I would deep? put this right on par with Roman Holiday. As far as depth. Um, Sense and Sensibility is a five for me. Um, Roman Hall, yeah. Like, wh- how, do, how do we get to one in our realm of rom-coms? Or do we never do that in your list? Oh, in terms of depth? Yeah. Oh, uh, a movie like, I don't mean this mean, but a movie like Legally Blonde? Well, it's not supposed to be mean. Um, like... Legally Blonde, though, does have moments that get real. And I feel like... Yeah, but not deep. Mm. Well, I'm giving this movie a two as far as depth. A two? Yeah. A two? Yeah, as far as, like, 
getting deep and digging into the feelings that make us feel human, this movie doesn't do that. It it does right at the end, but it barely begs us to feel fear and danger for these characters. Did you not hear my monologue about the Holly Golightly's in our life? That's why I give it the four. That's that's not depth though. That's saying that it is a good reflection of the world. <laughs> of of a character in the world. Yeah, but but the point is when you're talking about depth, you're talking about like how much humanity in this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And so I guess I think this movie has way more humanity going on it than Roman Holiday is. Because a Roman Holiday is is still kind of a princess adventure romance movie, whereas this is like these people are ten times more real than the princess in Roman Holiday. Sure. So maybe I'd give Roman Holiday a two and this a three because, like, let I would say there are more real people in Notting Hill, for instance, and I would give that a four, and then I would give um, like something like Family Stone a five. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. right, let's not compare against movies. You just uh, says you, you, you found a lot of depth in this and that's all I wanted well, to know. I, I, I think that's the thing though, that I want to really die on this hill over and praise is that Holly Golightly, I think is a more significant character in the history of cinema than Anna Scott. Well here, that's, that's actually going to be on my last tier in my rating system. Okay. So, okay. so maybe save that. Uh, for something else, because this is the last ability of this movie. Like, oh, I thought you were saying, and the last ability no. is no, no you're no, saying uh, last what's, ability. What's the um, in the iconicness of this film? Like, will will this film stand the test of time? Um, as it's, a, it has so far. It really has. So five. That is despite the. I'm gonna actually dock it because. This movie, I'm going to give this a four because the last ability of this movie, it is iconic. Um, but I think especially lately, it's it feels much more of its time every time I watch it. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to go below a four for me, but it's um, like it, it, it just it just doesn't reach that that peak for me of a five. Well, but wouldn't you say that what's aged about it are the things that aren't important to the movie? Like Mr. Yunioshi is not important to the movie. And so that's aged obviously horribly, but we're not going to even when we watch it, we ignore those scenes. We just kind of hold our nose and hold our breath until those scenes are over. Those um, are aged. But do you think the actual story itself is aged? The story itself? No. Yeah. Um, and but, that's why I would, I'd be, but, but, um, but I don't think that a movie is, is something with holes in it and pockets of missing stuff. What does that even mean? Well, I, I don't think that the parts of the movie that are in it that you don't like don't exist anymore. Well, yeah, I'm not saying ignore it all the way you, you said they weren't there not, well no i'm not saying i'm not saying literally take some scissors to the film and like cut the scenes out i wouldn't mind uh, that oh well the preservationist me is like don't touch it no i mean i i wouldn't but that's that's the whole point is this movie exists on a plane of um it has 
it has a lot of goodness to it and a couple bad things it's still going to be iconic it's going to be iconic no matter what i'm just docking at a star for the fact that like if if it i i don't know if in a hundred years it will continue its iconicism i'm going to say because of some of the things that are aged about it it will um thrive because we will be able to look at it properly the way that we look at dw griffith properly you know what that's that's actually a good point i didn't think about that as as a testament to its time maybe that adds to it so i'm bumping it up to a five you've convinced Aha! me because that's the thing is like this is the end of that era right of like oh my god you can't do this anymore like, i think lawrence of arabia is probably the end of it well yeah. i mean i i'm not an expert so i don't know but i would say that was a couple of years. I later. mean, they're still through the seventies, eighties, nineties. Um, today we still have instances of it, but studios couldn't get away with it anymore. Oh, I didn't want to say that. Like you had, you had that, like, um, that college movie where the kid dresses up in blackface to get the college scholarship. That was like an eighties movie. And it's about a kid in blackface. So it's like, maybe they didn't learn their lesson, but they were starting to learn their lesson. But at least they're not putting stars in blackface. Yeah, because I can't remember who the kid was. I'm sure, I think he is still acting. I, I can't remember. Um, but I can remember Mickey Rooney. I can't remember this kid. So I guess that's something. Well, yeah, Mickey Rooney did have like, what? Uh, I mean, with the amount of speed that they put him on, probably 700 films. <laughs> uh, I've got him right here. Let's take a look. His official IND account, drumroll please. Brrrr is 341 acting credits jeez louise and you, you know some of those have got to be like self on the johnny carson show or something maybe i mean you're right he was on speed pretty much the whole time i know him and poor Julie, judy garland just like having to go from movie <laughs> to movie yeah i can just imagine um people like mickey rooney you were you doing yellow face. What were you thinking? He's like, I don't know. I was high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm high right now. Everybody's gotten so low. <laughs> Just before we get into who would we fall in love with? Um, the style in this movie is great. Her bathtub in her apartment is wonderful. The clothing, even, even uh, Paul's lady of, of the evening that he spends the night with. Um, she looks like when she, she wears that red, turban i don't i don't know actually what it is but it's um she looks like a disney villain almost but in like a way where i'm like man that's class yeah she's very pretty too yeah she is really pretty she was in a bunch of stuff and i I think that's there's something about paul's experience where it's just kind of like nice place cash beautiful woman Yeah. yeah would you have given up that that weekend with holly for freedom i don't know (laughs) <laughs> it's it's the tough questions in life that we ask on this podcast i mean he had like 50 suits in that room yeah it you was, don't give that it was, up it was uh it was choice speaking of clothing later in the movie after holly sends doc home i guess that's like halfway through the movie um she's like i need to get drunk and they go to a strip club mm-hmm. um <laughs> which it still like amazes me that like in the time of haze there's there's time to go to a strip club in a movie like they cut away from things but it still feels risque even them being there in the 60s i wonder it's like talking to your grandma about sex (laughs) well that's the thing is that these this is one of those like film classics that it's just like 
you would think for a hot second that sure we can let the whole family watch like no 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 it's not that appropriate i mean i uh, when when did you see this for the first time in college I did you watch I... it with your family did you watch it with your grandma we owned it my grandma owned it i don't know if i ever watched it with her but it would have gone right over my head as a kid oh yeah that's the thing about these these films in that period of where they were starting to get to talk about sex Come on. Let's talk about sex baby when she's just like watching the stripper take off her clothes, which classy stripper, by the way. <laughs> Great stripper. She says, Do you think she's handsomely paid? Hmm? Oh, indeed. Well, let me tell you something, mister. If I had her money, I'd be richer than she is. That's that's why this movie is... I, I almost don't want it to be deep because... There's there's such a layer of subtext under everything already that they just <laughs> they never explain anything. That's right. What's, that's what's so capote about this film. See, uh, that's the thing about depth in a movie is that I think it gets as deep as Holly Golightly's personality. I guess so. I, I agree with that. But I don't I'm not saying she's vapid or um, uh, what's the word? She's purposely um, avoidant. Yeah, so it'll only go as deep as she's willing to go. And as, not even willing, but pushed, pushed by Paul. That's how far she'll go. And so the the end of the movie is the deepest she is. This is something that you actually disliked about Kamel's character in The Big Sick, was you said, like, he, he avoids responsibility and he avoid like avoids telling his parents about things holly golightly has some of those same attributes as her flaws as she avoids all of the problems in her life and just kind of tries to exist on a different plane for yeah a while. but holly golightly knows and acknowledges that she is a um a non not a non-sensible person but she's not known for being a sensible person and Kumal throughout most of the big sick is, hey, I'm a sensible person, except for this one glaring issue. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, well, Ryan, who would you have fallen in love with in 1961 in this movie? Holly Golightly. I've fallen in love with 100 Holly Golightlys until I found Sarah. Thank God. <laughs> um. Okay. That's fine. Did you want me to say Paul Varjak? No. Is that what you wanted? No, that's the opposite of what I wanted you to say. I'd much rather you pick Holly Golightly. Um, there weren't a lot of people in this. There's Sometimes I have trouble with this one, but this one was easy for me. There's a one point in time in my life where I would have fallen in love with Holly Golightly, but since I'm answering from me, who would I fall in love with, not who I might have fallen in love with at one point in time, um, I'm going to say Kat. Ah. Uh. Like, that's the easiest answer for me in this movie. Cat jumps on your shoulders, is, like, still willing to be your friend after you toss him out of a car. I Cat, Cat is my one true love. Okay. I'm, I want to put out a house rule that the cute animal sidekick is exempt from this question. Nope. Because, no, because if that's the question, we're going to pick animals half the time. Like when we do You've Got Mail, we're going to pick Brinkley. Well, you're going to pick the woman who looks most like your wife most of the time. So well, can I exempt that? No. <laughs> I want to know your second. Okay, then I get to pick a cat. 
I'll give you your second. I'll give your second choice. I want to hear your second choice, and I'll give you a second choice. Okay. Wait, your second choice is going to be cat, though. That's obvious. Um. No. 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 Okay. I don't think so. So, who are our second choices? We've got Rusty Trawler. Uh, we've got we've got Jose. No, well, my we've, second choice is going to be Holly. Then. Okay. Why? Because, as exhausting as she is, if if I had like as good of a friendship as they have, and knew that she loved me and chose me, I could deal with just about anything from Holly. Mm-hmm. What about you? For my second choice. Mm, yes. Um, Mr. Yanoshi. I know. I kind of want to pick the the woman who's decorating his apartment. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Gosh, yeah, that's actually a good pick. Maybe she's my second choice. She doesn't seem all that bad. She seems like a good time. I think the only thing is, here's where the movie doesn't get deep. Here's where the movie cops out. What's wrong with her marriage? Yes, see? I want to know, and I don't get that info. I mean, she's obviously very rich. She has horrible poodles. Sorry, if you like poodles, it's fine. It's just, ugh. Yeah. We, we only see his hand. They were kind of old, right? Yeah. Also, this movie's, this movie's obsessed about phones. Did you notice that? I was just thinking, and that is a lost art in our iPhone um, day, is that phones have lost all style. Because her husband has his hand, like what we see of him is he has his hand on a phone or something, I, or she's on a phone and it's pretty. And the phone in Paul's apartment that she put there is, is fancy. It's fabulous. That That's like Liberace's phone yeah. that they stole mm-hmm. and put in this movie. Yeah. And Holly's is in a suitcase. Like, wh- how can we how can we up our phone game when we're making movies, Ryan? Yeah, it's, I don't know. Cool covers? Yeah, we'll have to go back to... See, and it sucks too because in your remake there are no phones. It's the 19th century. My phone cover's so hot. It's got, you know, Donald Glover's face on it. Super cool. And then he'll rap for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I that's that's the one thing that my headcanon is is that the hand looked old. And so my guess is she was a Holly Golightly back in her day Mm. and she settled down with the rich guy right and is now unhappy because she's stuck with this guy who she knew i like that read a lot she didn't love in the first place and now she's resorting to have to sneak around and pay this guy off and have a secret apartment for him i really wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that like the movie i didn't actually see that so it wasn't missing for me but now that you mention it i would have loved to see just a little bit more of that story you write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. Like maybe in the scene where she breaks up with, or he breaks up with her or something. Like just yeah. to know a little bit more about that extra relationship. And you know, in a really, 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 really innocent way, an American in Paris kind of gets at this. There's the character who kind of discovers Gene Kelly and is kind of her, his patroness. Um, but she also is like, ooh, you should date me too. Um, but he's like, I'm in love with Leslie Caron. And she's like, ooh, but you should date me too. And it's like, she's kind of paying him for his art. His art of boners. But his other art. <laughs> his dancing penis. And, yeah. 
<laughs> good old gene kelly uh, but i feel like that movie actually got at her character of having to resort to this of paying off gene kelly for like companionship and mm-hmm. it's like we don't really get this woman's experience of resorting to having to i mean go to great lengths of keeping this guy around so do you think that they still sleep together or do you think he has a mistress as well oh i don't know because i feel like if she's worried about being followed she's obviously like she has no power or money she doesn't come from money she doesn't have her own assets so you're right she's definitely at least married into money yeah so if she if so if um holly married jose and stayed with Jose for 20 oh, years. Oh, she'd definitely sleep around on, on Jose. Yeah, that's yeah. what would happen. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I think this movie is so beautiful, is that Paul's the one true love, that she wouldn't have to sleep around with other men in 20 years, that she'll still be happy with George Papard and his ridiculous tam. Do Spigolo, Paul the Gigolo. Yes, <laughs> that is exactly it. All right, well, uh, this was fun. I'm glad we got to get into a classic. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to bring up or talk about or like something in the movie? The fun fact of this movie is that the Truman Capote was like, you were supposed to hire Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yeah, that's right. He really wanted her. Which would have been a completely different movie. It would have. I, I, I haven't seen the Marilyn part where she played like so sardonically like... Uh, what what is the Holly Golightly personality? Um, for Marilyn, no. Uh, because like if you see, let's like some like it hot, like she can she can pull off comedy in that movie well. But I've never seen her play someone in charge of a situation like Audrey Hepburn oh, can. Then I will show you gentlemen prefer blondes. Really? Have you seen it? Yeah. I, She's in charge all the way through. Yeah. She it's her it's her it's she's calling the shots on like her I'm thinking terms. all about Eve Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. some like it hot where she's playing like Gentlemen prefer ditz, blondes. Ditzy, but she wonderful. knows what she Yeah, she knows what she's doing in Gentlemen okay. prefer blondes. She's, I haven't seen it in a long time, in, so She's in on the joke. Okay. She's she's not she's not getting laughed at. She's the one laughing. Wait, wait, wait. Because she, but a bunch of people are laughing at her, I bet. Yeah, but she's laughing too. Okay, see, that's not the same thing, because nobody's going to laugh at Holly. No, Holly's... But there's something clownish about Holly. I mean that nice. I mean that as why this is a comedy, is that there's a... I don't know, clownishness, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say that she has a clownish nature in the same way that, like... Well, gosh, and it's not even Charlie Chaplin. Like, who... What clown is like her? Maybe she's her own kind of clown. She's a socialite clown. Well, she's kind of Jacques Tati-esque. She, there's just kind of... Nah, I mean, but Jacques Tati doesn't... Like, her. hers is all about her verbiage, right? Jacques Tati doesn't even talk. But there's there's like a walk to Holly Golightly. Like, if someone was doing a Holly Golightly, you could pick it out of a crowd by just the way they walk. Sure. I wouldn't call it a clown, though. It's um... No, but there's something humorous to it, lively about her of like, ah, Holly Golightly. But you're on to something. She would need some props, but she, yeah. she'd be able to pull it off. Yeah, yeah. Like if you had um, a cat, a long cigarette case, like a drink in your hand, um, 
She's she's got a, a way of moving about her. She's got a way about her cat. But that's the other thing is that Holly Golightly at a party is not the same Holly Golightly on her apartment with cat by herself. Different Hollies. Yeah. Man, I really loved when Cat was in the the sink. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice the J and B? I every movie I see a J and B bottle in. It's a blended scotch. Yeah. Um I I'm it just makes me happy because it's basically the the only whiskey that you'll see or scotch i guess um in any movie from the 1950s through the 1970s it's always there yeah it's like and it didn't i wasn't let down by it's this like one. every martin scorsese film it's like ah yes. I need some scotch all right we're gonna have to work quickly a pair of quadruple whiskeys and another pair of pints please let's pick uh, next week's movie yes let's yes let's pick next week's movie um, you're going to be in charge of rolling some dice today. Oh, do you need me to grab dice? Yeah, go get them. All right, I got my D&D dice. What am I rolling? Okay, so this time you're going to find your D12. Which one is that? <sighs> it's the one that only goes up to 12. <laughs> is it this one? I'm so new at this. Okay, D12. Okay, and then find a D10. Oh boy, you're making it rough. Is it this one? That's the one that goes up to zero. Yep. Got it. Okay. Go ahead and roll it. Give us a roll. Oh, crud. Okay. It's a three and a nine. Go with the whatever's on the D12 first. Um, D12 is a three. Nine on the D10. 39. I'm sorry, Ryan. Oh, no. The next movie we're watching is going to be as good as it gets. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is really bringing me back. Last time I watched it in your bed. Yes, you did with two women. Yeah, I went nowhere. Yeah, it went. Yeah. But we still watched a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Um. Oh, okay. Go ahead and check us out on any of the social medias. I know that we're not hosting a cool party right now like Holly Go Lightly, but that's because it's COVID time. Uh, so check us out on Instagram. Where else? Facebook. Twitter. Kind of. We don't really do anything there, but we're trying. <laughs> but there's plenty of good stuff on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Please give us a follow. Um, it'll make us all feel warm and fuzzy inside when, you know, we get that love. And, um, I think the best, biggest, most beautifulest thing you can do for us to help out the podcast is if you like our podcast and you know someone who also would like our podcast, tell them about it. Tell them to give us a listen. Yeah, invite them over like it's a cool 1960s party to listen to our podcast, but not to your house. Yeah. Invite your rusty trawlers, invite your Jose's from your Brazil's, um, that's the most, uh, you know, wonderful, beautiful thing, darling, you could do. Is, yeah, your Holly uh, Golightly is great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I tried. I'm so glad you did. Uh, and also, please send us a message. We'd love hearing from you. Um, our, our email is romcomgents at gmail.com. And um, yeah, just uh, we'll, we'll even read it on the show if you like. So I think that's it, though. Nothing else? Rate and review on on iTunes. That would help us out a lot. Mm -hmm. Let's send it to the singers. Okay.
Bye. Bye. Love, love you. you. Love you. Bye. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryanand Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on a gentleman's guide. To rom-coms. And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? She said, I think I... Remember the film, and as I recall, I think both kind of liked it. And I said, Well, that's it's your turn. Oh, I don't pay attention to lyrics. One thing we got, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>